Welcome to the Three Wise Men of Divorce, Money, Psych, and Law podcast. Sit down with the California divorce experts, financial divorce consultant Mark Hill, psychologist Scott Weiner, and attorney Sean Weber for a frank and casual conversation about divorce, separation, co-parenting, and the difficult decisions real people like you face during these tough times. We know that if you are looking at divorce or separation, it can be scary and overwhelming. With combined experience of over 70 years in divorce and conflict management, we are here for you and look forward to helping by sharing our unique ideas, thoughts, and perspectives on divorce, separation, and co-parenting. Now that we got that out of the way, I've got the recording going. Hallelujah. All right. So, um, hey, it's another week. Yeah, it's another week. Another, it's another week. week. I, I've, you know, are we the wise guys? Are we still the wise guys? Or are we, we are, giving a- we are in fact wiser guys than we were than we started this whole podcast thing because we have learned over the last year or so mm. numerous things about how to operate in a COVID environment. Yeah, we're coming up so on a year, right? Yeah, I think so. Of, of, of doing this. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's true. We're coming up on it. All right, well, we should have a party, our one-year anniversary. We should. We actually might be able to be in the same room as each other sometime. You know, maybe we could do that. We could do it from the same room, and it would be this exciting thing. Did you get your shot? I had my shots. Dr. Weiner got his shot. I know. He got my shots. I'm two weeks out. I am dangerous. I am out there. There's no hope. Oh, my God. My God. I'm too youthful and inexperienced to get a shot. Yeah. <laughs> Although uh, I, I'm an asthmatic, so I think I'm close. I think you're qualified. You're 1C. I think you're in. I think I may be ready for 1C, which means go I can go it. in and get my go shot. Get it. I, well, I tried to sign up, and they said I wasn't qualified, but I think they had old questions on their website, so I'm going to try again today. Yeah, good idea. But, but um, you know, I was thinking about, you know, we got a lot of people that get – get divorced but sometimes we have people that are trying to get married we do and 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 so my thought for a subject today would be prenups postnups and pillow talk and how are they the same and how are they different fine alliteration by the way did you like that i loved it it's (laughs) excellent (laughs) (laughs) yeah we need a we need one of those screens on our microphone (laughs) <laughs> prenups, postnups, and pillow talk. Um, okay, well, and what do you mean by that expression there? Do a little definition here, young man. Okay, yeah. so, so you know, everybody has a prenup when they get married. They just may not realize it. Mm-hmm. I always say that, you know, you can either have the prenup that you write, or you can have the prenup that was written by your state legislature which would be your family code. And so um, either way, you have a marital contract that is governed by the state that you live in. And um, if you get divorced, that prenup that came from your family code will go into effect. And so you have the ability when you get married to alter that marital contract in a way that both of you feel is better. And you can leave... I'm sorry. Lawyer. I said lawyer, comma, I have a question. Yes, sir. Psychologist lawyer. Yeah, but I'm not an expert at this stuff like you are. I want to know what is the extent to which a person can um, 
either overwrite or go around the family code? Can if if I want to remarry my wife, which she would never put up with the poor thing, but if I did and we wanted to start over, could I say, uh, by the way, I want to have the law, I want to have total um, uh, common law as is practiced in the state of Minnesota instead of my, which is where I grew up, you know, although you wouldn't hear it. <laughs> or, or do I have to go, you know, by the family code of California? Well, I mean... <clears throat> How much can I overwrite or how much can I? You can do a lot. I mean, prenups are, I'll, I'll give you this. Prenups are universally loathed by the law and the people that apply it. Okay. Because um, they're always worried that someone's going to mess with the, like a, a weaker spouse. When I mean by weaker, somebody that maybe has less money or less finances or is less sophisticated, that person will somehow get railroaded. We can, we can thank Barry Bonds for that. He had a, the, the baseball player, he had a rather yeah. nasty prenup that in the state of California was upheld. And it led to a lot of revisions in California and actually across the country in how the Uniform Premarital Agreement Act is applied. Um, and it makes it much harder to draft an enforceable prenup. So, so there's now that. the law is sort of like the family code on steroids, probably after Barry Bonds. Well, it's, 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 you've got to do all, you've got to jump through all these hoops to make sure That's that the joke. prenuptial agreement is enforceable. And you want to check in your jurisdiction because it's, it's a little different in every state, but most states follow what's called the Uniform Premarital Agreement Act. And it says that you have to have at least seven days before the agreement, uh, you know, from the time from when you sign it and when you were first presented with the agreement, there should be seven days of a cooling off period. Um, it's virtually impossible to draft a premarital agreement that is enforceable unless you have an attorney on both sides. In theory, you can do it where there's one attorney but or, or no attorneys, but it's so hard to prove that people understood what they were signing that it's it becomes virtually unenforceable. Unconscionability, you know, whether it's so yeah. horrible that it's unconscionable, is not measured at the time that the agreement is drafted, but is measured at the time the agreement is enforced, which is kind of challenging. So you might write a prenuptial agreement that says there will never be spousal support or alimony between the parties. Um, that may be fine and dandy, but then when you get time to enforcing, if it turns out that it's unconscionable, in the mind, in other words, it shocks the senses of the court that there would be no alimony in this case, then that portion won't be upheld. And so there's okay, all kinds of weird things like that, 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 that you have to kind of walk around. And then the other thing that's challenging is you can't put something in your prenuptial agreement that seems to encourage divorce or is against public policy. So there are limits. There are some limits. And, and so then what a lot of people do, and you know, you were talking about, hey, we've been married a while. Can I do a prenup after I'm married? There's a thing called a postnuptial agreement. And it's enforced by a totally different section of the law. <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I, you can do things with a postnuptial agreement that you may not be able to do with a prenup. And there's things you can do with a prenup that you may not be able to do with a postnup. Um, but you know, sometimes people will do a postnuptial agreement. In other words, it's like a prenup, but you did it after the date of marriage. And then there's this thing I call pillow talk. 
that's the one I want to know about. Isn't that exciting? You know, you just yeah. You you, you're, <laughs> you had a very nice evening with your significant other, mm-hmm. and you're talking to each other. I will love you forever. I will always take care of you. You're the light of my life. I promise you that if we get divorced, you get the house. <laughs> I just want to tell our listeners that right now, Mark Hill, the financial guy, has the most insipid grin on his face. It's absolutely delightful. I'm enjoying it. I watched it. When you started talking about that, I love you so, he just started to grin. And I have this sense. He's a veteran of marriage and divorce. (laughs) You know, and they all meant it at the time. (laughs) (laughs) It was so much. But that was before she did that. Because that negated everything that happened on that pillow, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you can promise, you know, I'll take care of you. You will want for nothing. Um, I promise I'm going to buy you a car oh, or, my. or I'm you know, going to put you on the title of the house and the house is half. And my business, too, is half yours. Yeah, I know. I know. So so that's a really lovely promise. But the problem is when you get to enforcement. Yeah. No, the court's not going to do anything with that. General. I mean, no, most no. jurisdictions, the court's going to be like, you know, what? that's pillow talk. That violates what we call the statute of frauds. You remember that from law school? Scott? I do, and all about parole evidence and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah. with certain, you know, real estate transactions over a certain amount of money, over a certain amount of time, if it's not in writing, there's no contract. That w- that puts together, you know, the four corners of the bed and the four corners of the pillow. And then the four corners of a document, you know? I, mean, I suppose if you were to write it in your blood on the, on the pillow. pillow and each of you sign it, that could be considered a valid agreement. But but in California, at least, they have this concept called transmutation. Yep. And not to be confused with transubstantiation or oh. transfusion. but trans- Thank you, Bishop. Yeah, right, transmutation. <laughs> and what that means is... Um, uh, uh, when you're when you're transferring something from community property to separate property or from separate property to community property. And so sometimes people will do that as part of their marriage. They'll promise to, I, you know, I will give you, I'll put you on the title of the house and then we'll be joint owners of the house. Well, just promising that is not good enough. Even just writing it down is not good enough without really magic words. Mm. So I have a question, a counselor. Hmm. So, so we're on the pillow and, and of course I'm the poor one and my wife is the, is, is the working one. And of we're, course we're not, we're not married yet. And she says, I'll give you half of this and half of that. And I reach over and surreptitiously pull out my iPhone and click record and go, love, say that again to me. It sounded so sweet. And she says, I will give you this and that and the other. And you have it documented in perpetuity, because we know if it goes into the cloud, that's permanent, more permanent than life itself. Um, does that constitute an adequate documentation of intent? I mean, maybe, maybe there. I mean, this goes back to contract law, and I've never seen this case, but, you know, it'd be fun to litigate it. Um, you know, I, I could see where a recording could be used as evidence of a contract. 
Um, what it would have to have, it would have, she didn't know if she didn't know she's been recorded, then it's a crime. It's called a felony at that point. (laughs) But, but let's say, you know, and I've done this with, at the end of a mediation, we say, okay, we all agreed to this. Let's record it. So we don't forget what we agreed to. And I said, you you guys agree we're on recording? Yes, we agree. Okay. So we agree that X, Y, and Z will happen. Okay. In exchange for A, B, and C. Now in your situation, even if it was recorded or even it was written down for it to be a valid transmutation, it would have to have magic words like, I intend this to be a transmutation of my community property interest to separate yep. property or my separate property interest to community property. You know, what comes up a lot of times is I call it the Lexus rule. You remember those Lexus commercials and it was, it was Christmas time and he, he he takes her out blindfolded in front of the house and removes the blindfold and there's this beautiful car with a bow on top of it. Uh-huh. Um, is that a valid transmutation? Is he gifting that to her as separate property? Because remember, gifts in the state of California are separate property, but he spent community property money to buy this. Is that a separate property of the wife now because he gifted it to her? And Doesn't the way this, she get the car and half of the money that he spent on it because he he transmuted the money from you know possibly but but here's the thing unless they're on the gift tag it says um, I give this car to my wife as a gift of separate property as community property transmuted to separate property and I resolve all of my community property interest in the separate property I do so knowingly intelligently without any threat of duress so help me God. No one's going to put that on their gift tag. And have tag. it notarized. Yes, yes. And nobody's <laughs> going to put that on their gift tag. But the way the state of California looks at it, unless you have that kind of writing for a, a gift of substantial value, it is not considered a gift. Even if on the pillow the night before you promised it. So writings are really important, and that's what and, and the court actually has differentiated it, in, in, at least in California. But we want to avoid pillow talk. We want things in writing so that we, the judge, can figure out what in the crap happened. Because people just coming and alleging to us that this conversation happened over the pillow, you know how that goes. No, I did not promise her that I would give her half of my business. I did not promise that. And how do you prove otherwise? You don't. But if you have a writing where he says, I will give you half of my shares of my 401k, and I do so knowingly, intelligently, without threat of duress, and uh, I intend this to be a transmutation of my uh, in my separate property interest to community property, now we have a valid transmutation, and the work is done. And so that that's the whole universe of post-nuptial agreements. Now... I've been talking a lot about the law here, guys. I want to hear something from Mark here. Exactly. I'm like, hey, what Mark? would be a financial reason to agree to a prenup or to a postnup? Well, because you come into the marriage perhaps later in life with very di- or earlier in life, but with very different financial circumstances. So one comes in as from a wealthy family with um, a history of um, a lifestyle that's very different than the other spouse comes into the marriage. And um, there may be, for example, in that situation, if there's family money being transferred on a regular basis, 
is that becoming community property as it's transferred over? Is it remaining separate? Uh, many wealthy families will encourage their children to employ an estate planning attorney when they're considering marriage. Um, and, and candidly, it's smart for both of you because even the, the sort of the unmoneyed spouse coming in um, should understand their rights and obligations um, under a marriage contract. <laughs> That's what it is. So, uh, and people don't think about it. So, oh, I love you forever. I'm going to marry you. Everything's going to be perfect. You're just wonderful for me. And we know that we wouldn't have professions if that remained the case. I mean, that's so, so true. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love it when people have that financial conversation before they tie the knot. Yeah. Because otherwise there are presumptions. Well, I just thought we were going to be all together. Mm -hmm. Well, I just figured we were going to keep things separate. We made about the same money. Why, you know, I mean, she had her accounts, I had mine. What, why, why, why are we even talking about this? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm working on a couple right now where there was some misunderstandings about what the other person expected. And so the prenup process actually forced that conversation to happen. And I think they've had an important dialogue, and it's actually going to strengthen their marriage going forward. Yeah. But, I mean, Scott, it's sure romantic to pass <laughs> across the table over a glass of wine at dinner, the prenup after you've handed her the, the ring. Um, what, what's the emotional impact of all of this kind of stuff? And by I the way, should it, get, should I, it be I love that I get to weigh in on the emotional part and the, the romance. Well, my question is, is it okay that I present the prenup right after the wedding invitations go out? Is that appropriate? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it creates a situation of duress. Exactly. Precisely. But people don't well, think about this sort of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, I... Certainly, I'm 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 sort of a lawyer too, and mm -hmm. and given that it's like I think it would make a, a great law school prompt in community property to actually discuss whether there is duress when you when you actually load the situation by um, presenting that after the invitations are out, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, We can talk about how unromantic these property discussions are, and we can say that with complete sincerity. You know, yes, it, it seems sort of cold and sort of uncaring to be talking about that. And in a in a perfect marital, permanent marital world, it is admittedly unnecessary to do this. But I'm sorry. We do not know in advance. We are not prescient. We do not have, you know, perfect future vision. We don't know where this is all going to go. So I think it's just essentially the price we all have to pay to, you know, to either make a decision that, you know, the community property law is fair. When two people get together who are of similar, as Mark was alluding to, similar financial postures and capabilities, you know, and my wife and I were both, you know, full of BS therapists. I have a little more of that, but, you know, we're just where we, we were pretty even. It didn't make sense for us to go prenup it because, you know, we were both going to get a little inheritance and we were both going to make money and working. And it's like, you know, if she ever came to her senses and figured out not to put up with me, we'd 
kind of split out even. But for a lot of people, that's just not true. It um, makes more sense when you have wealth that you've accumulated. Like when my wife and I got married, we had two dimes to rub together between us and some credit card debt, and that was it. You know, And so worrying about... Um, a prenuptial agreement didn't make a whole lot of sense, but, but, you know, I see people that maybe it's their second marriage. They've accumulated some wealth. Um, I'm reminded of the Seinfeld episode when he, George is going to get married and he goes to his soon to be new spouse and goes, I've been told I need a pre, I want a prenup. And she looks at him and goes, I make twice as much money as you do. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the prenup could also say you're going to yeah. give me half your separate property. Yeah. You but know? at the same at the same time, the, I'm, my point I'm trying to make is it may not be to your benefit to get yeah, a prenup. Think about it. <laughs> you know, think about it. Yeah. As you said, Scott, it's an irrelevance when you have a young couple coming together early in life without not a lot of assets. You know. Well, you know, another well, thought. Go ahead, go ahead, Mark. Well, I was going to say another, another thought is is um, you know the prenup happens. And they decide not to get married after they've gone through it, mm. you know, because it actually shows them that this marital contract isn't going to work for them. And that's okay. That, I mean, aren't you glad you know now? Yeah. yeah. And, and then the other thing is um, I've had couples that have worked really hard to just shield one another, or to shield one side from any impact of a marriage, any kind of risk whatsoever. We want to figure this out and make sure that that's never going to happen to me if there's a divorce. And what I've, I've usually ended up telling those folks is, you know, when you get married, there is some level of risk. There is yeah. exposure. You are ex exposing your financial picture to one another. And there's not really much of a way around that. You can limit the exposure and you can be real, you can have clarity but trying to eliminate all risk in your marriage is probably a mistake. I mean, what do you think, Scott? I think that what we, what I've bumped into coaching in collaborative is that um, people are much more um, afraid of revealing what their financial reality is than they are of, you know, working it through mm. and that, uh, when they come into divorce, once once they are read the extreme legal riot act of, oh, by the way, you were fiduciaries for yourselves all along, whether or not you knew it. And it is literally a crime to conceal these monies. People are, I mean, I, I, I've tried to refer cases into our collaborative process working with one person who's come in like an old client says they, they want to get divorced and they are so afraid that the other person would outsmart us at hiding money in this, <laughs> that, and the other. I mean, yeah. absolutely dead on convinced, you know, and, yeah. you know, I mean, and <laughs> I mean, I, 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 tell I, I see that, that often is my job one is to disavow that person of the belief that they're the smartest guy in the room or woman in the room. Well, this, this, this person was afraid that her spouse was the smartest person in the room. And maybe it's because this person was so shot through with an awareness of how <laughs> dull and stupid I am that they thought the rest of the people were too. <laughs> and, but um, this is where the real terror lies. I think. 
Well, the, the, the other question, let me jump in because you raise a really interesting point, Scott. The question to ask that person is, so do you think you're going to be better off in litigation? You know, this, you think this, it's going to be easier thought, to get the information from a person who is not cooperating well, <laughs> or even has the semblance of cooperation as an underlying principle. <laughs> all right. This particular person was more afraid that um, that litigation or mediation would not unearth this person's extremely arcane Byzantine structures and that therefore they needed to stay married. So that in, sounds in, like a really good reason to stay married. Exactly. In a condition <laughs> of true misery. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I, I do, you know, I, I do come across people where the, you know, they, they assign supernatural powers to their yes. spouse that well you don't said. understand. Right. This person yep. is so sophisticated and charming and, and, and they're, <laughs> and, and then I also get, um, you know, they're they're just such amazing business people that there's no way that uh, they're not making all this money, and they they can't believe it when the when the true financial picture comes out that really there isn't as much money as they thought was going to be there. And and this person may not be the financial genius he or she has yes. been leading the other spouse to believe for twenty years. Yeah, it turns out it kind of sucks. And yeah, I mean, I I recently did a case where we were trying to value how much income should be ascribed to husband's separate inherited property, and I ran a thing about he'd been managing the money for five to seven years, and he'd basically made no money. And if he put it into, and she thinks he's a financial genius, he's doing all this trading, he's up there with an eye shade eight hours a day in his bedroom. And, and she's, could, she was amazed that I said, well, if we put it into an S&P 500 and pulled out 2% for expenses, he would have doubled his money. And he's, <laughs> and he's made, better. I think, an a, a annual return of a little under 2% well, in seven years or five years, you know. He was betting against himself on the golf channel. That's what he was doing. <laughs> there you, <go. laughs> you know, but so we've got these, you know, the, the, I think that what the people out there who might trouble themselves to listen to us need to know. Yeah. Like all four is, of them. Right. Weren't there five last week? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> no, we, we, we actually yeah, have a pretty good following. Improvement right there. We got a lot of people listening to us out there. They're all over the world. So wait, shape up and say something intelligent, will you? Why not? Yeah, come on. I'm so sorry. I want to apologize in advance or, or, or after the fact or something. Well, it is hard to have these discussions it is harder not to in the long run. And if it's done with kindness and wisdom and foresight, which of course we all have in droves, but if it's done that way, these conversations don't have to be cold. Um, Sean, we've worked a case where the, um, the real difficulty in the divorce was that the particular gentleman wanted to be so certain of guaranteeing the stable long-term well-being of his spouse with who they, they weren't really connected anymore, but it's like, he was so loyal to that standard. Yeah. And they had and a post now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the, and the, the pre and the post can address that kind 
of loving relationships. So it doesn't have to be cold, but it does take some communication skill to get that done. Well, and fair. that's where, you know, a lot of times people are thinking when I do my prenup or I do my postnuptial agreement, I'm just going to get attorneys to do this. But it's really wise to bring in all three pillars of our equation, which is the, yes. the legal, the emotional, and the financial, and and bring in a financial, you know, uh, consultant like Mark or, or bring in a, a psychologist like yourself to as a coach to, to help the parties figure out what's going to work here. You know, we're not just building a, a portfolio. We're building a marriage. And there are so many emotional um, <laughs> outcomes or emotional ripples that come off of the money. Yeah. And they oh, go forever. So Hold that on. Are so you true. saying that people get emotional about money, Mark? I, do you ever see the movie The Pritzy's Honor years ago? No, that was um, Jack Nicholson and Kathleen Turner were both hitmen for the mob, but for different (laughs) mobs. And there was a million dollars missing. And Nicholson's trying to explain to Kathleen Turner that, uh, you know, how important the money is. And the way he puts it is he says, you've got to understand something. The Pritzies love their money more than they love their children. And they really love their children. (laughs) And that's how people are with money. It really becomes, to some degree, who they are, especially older Mm -hmm. folks. It's what they've achieved. It's how they kept score throughout their lives. And now, at best, it's going to get cut in half. And that's a thing where the post-nup can be very useful because sometimes you have a couple where they've been married 25 years and money is the kryptonite. You know, that's the thing that's driving the wedge and is leading them to divorce. You can actually do a post-nuptial agreement with the intent of strengthening the marriage. Mm-hmm. How you know, would that go, Sean? Say more. Well, you 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 talk about your financial arrangement. You know, you should have had the conversation before you got married, but here we are. We're married, and you guys have different expectations. So let's sit down with a, uh, a Scott Weiner and a Mark Hill and a Sean Weber, and let's talk about. What kind of arrangement? How can we structure our financial picture with one another in such a way that it strengthens our marriage? If, if money's I, the kryptonite, let's let's take money off the table as the kryptonite. And let's let's I be know, very they, clear they, about what our boundaries are and our understanding and our expectations. The thing that I have bumped into most over these last almost 40 years, when I have a doing couples therapy and they have money problems, is Many, many times, I mean, I, I, this just has overwhelmingly been my experience. Individuals have gone in and kept separate accounts without having an understanding about those separate accounts. And, and then later on, there is some sort of behavioral or characterological divide. And then, as Mark says, yeah, the money becomes the, you know, Oh, my favorite is I, I put that in my account that none of that's hers yeah, or none yeah, of that's his. That, yeah. I'm like, no. Did you earn it during the marriage? Yes. Well, then it's community property. Whether there's no matter whose name's on, on it. It's like yeah. I see then those people, you know, and then before they decide, you know, either to get divorced or to work that out, you know, then they're sitting there on their their piles of money that the other person doesn't know how much it is or what it's from. And they sit there and they don't know quite what to do. 
-hmm. And I mean, I do tell them that, you know, um, you each both own all of that, whether you think you do or not. Um, Well, we've always kept it separate and we've intended to keep it separate. That was our arrangement. That's our arrangement. Or how how about the flip side? He told her all along he's got all this money over here. But what he didn't tell her is that he's actually been spending it down for the last five years. And, and he's in debt up to his eyeballs. And exactly. And he never told you about all the credit cards that he doesn't yes. have paper statements coming to the house. Because you're also jointly liable for separate for credit Bingo. card debt. Yep. And, and, and so, I mean, and that's where, you know, maybe that's the classic situation, Mark. You've probably seen this a lot where you have one person that's the spendthrift and the other person that's the saver. And more and and exacerbated by the situation. In other words, the more the person spends, the more the other saves. And the more that person saves, the more the other person spends because they're feeling like they're trying to control them. That's how I'm going to exert control. I'm going to go spend exactly. some money. Exactly. I'm going to put that money away. She Not can't me. stop me. I'm going to save it, damn her. I'm buying you know? that car. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, you can, you can take care of that with a postnuptial agreement. You can just say, all right, you know, so if you guys are so different in your money styles, maybe, maybe you can have an arrangement that is different from your state's family code that says, this is how we're going to arrange our money. Because remember, you already have a prenup. It was written in your state's legislature. Mm-hmm. And so like Martin, like uh, what, what Scott was alluding to the couple that, well, we kept all of our stuff separate. Well, if you live in California, it doesn't matter. Your prenup that you wrote in Sacramento <laughs> already says that all of that stuff is community. But you can alter that. you know. And that's the power of these agreements. But pillow talk doesn't work. It has to be in writing, and you have to follow formalities. If you skip the formalities and you don't do it right, it's not worth the paper it's written on. So I always tell people. It's, you know, it's not worth the paper it's not written on. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, it could be written on a piece of paper, but you don't have the magic words. Yeah, so each see. state has their own set of magic words. And so you need to make sure that you're meeting with an attorney that can guarantee that this is drafted correctly. You know, otherwise, you know, you don't dot an I properly or you miss a T. Um you know, it may, not, it may not help. The other thing is, if you do have an attorney drafted, it probably will be enforceable, and you need to think hard about that before you sign it. So I had a guy, he said to me, I, I need to have a postnuptial agreement. My, I had an affair, and my wife's mad at me, and she said she's going to leave me unless I give her my whole TSP and all of my stuff, and I, I'm, I'm going to do that. And I said, okay, I'll draft this for you, but I want you to understand something. I'm really good at what I do. And this will be enforceable. Okay, I, and I, I want you to know, I've seen this before, and a lot of times what happens, the ink is not, it's barely dry. And then come, now that they know they have the postnuptial agreement, they're very happy to file for the divorce. And, oh, and I, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, well, I, I'm very good at what I do, and I'm going to write on here. And I actually wrote on the document when I signed it for him, because they, they want you to approve it as to form. I said approved as to form, but signed against advice. Because <laughs> I told him, do not sign this. And it turned out I was right. It was like literally 30 days after the postnuptial agreement was completed, she filed for divorce. And so I'm working with him on the divorce. And I remember going to, we went to a private judge to mediate the case. And the private judge says, well, I read that postnuptial agreement. And it was very well written. Mr. <laughs> Weber. 
And um, I want you to know, Mr. Doe, that it is very likely the court would uphold that. <laughs> you know, and he was trying to say duress and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, you had an attorney. You, we wrote in here, this is not signed under duress, that you knew what you were doing. We followed all the formalities. And so this thing is enforceable. And he regretted that. But, you know, he didn't listen to me. It wouldn't be the first time somebody hasn't listened to me. Is he I'm glad I put it in writing. Is he listening to you now? Yes. Oh, so that's what he might let's, be. Yeah. Let's follow through on this vignette. If instead of launching into that agreement, um, she and he had been induced to come in and talk about this first, she may have played her card and, you know, and, and, and that agreement could have been modified then to say something like, you know, in consideration of the fact that we intend to stay married for the next number mm -hmm. of years and work this out, I will, you know. Yeah, yeah, we could have put in there. If, and make I it null and void. It. Yeah, uh, if, if uh, she files for divorce within a certain period, can you do that? I, I, I begged him to do it. Yeah. Well, so, hey, folks. <laughs> we did it again. Be careful of what you do. But also be careful of what you don't do. Deciding not to plan is often not a very good plan at all. We have an expression, people never plan to fail. They just fail to plan. There's yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, well, the seat of the pants stuff doesn't work. Yeah. And pillow talk, um, you know. Don't count. It better be good is what I say. I don't know, Mark. Mark, you're a musician. Remember Smokey Robinson's old song, More Love? Uh -huh. <laughs> That's yeah. the pillow talk of, oh, I'm going to give you more love and more joy that and age or time could never I, destroy. I don't even remember the being the more money being in there, but. Uh, no, I don't think he said that. <laughs> I don't think he did either. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, we, we've taken everybody down a stroll of. Down a we have. pathway of cynicism and despair, but we recommend agreements. We recommend writing things in advance and really thinking about things and talking it over in detail. And especially for older couples who come in with history and with children mm -hmm. and children, with children, children, their, and their own estates, you yeah. know, yeah. That, that have significance and businesses and real property. And, you know, it's very easy in the <clears throat> the early stages of a relationship to just assume that there will never be any challenges. But as we all know, every marriage is a work in progress and it requires work to make it keep working. And um, these issues will arise at some point in the marriage very often and the better to bring them up at the front as we've suggested today. The so other Mark. nightmare, the other nightmare that, that we didn't mention, but you just alluded to Mark that I think is critical is that if you think about getting married a second time and you had children in your first marriage, uh, you know, what do you want to do about your estate with regards to the children from the first marriage? Shouldn't that be part of the plan? Mark, oh. you have muted yourself. And there the conversation. Go. Yeah. Should be start part of the conversation. How do you see this working? Yeah, nice. Yeah. How do you see this? How do you, how would you, if you passed away first, what do you think would happen? If I passed away first, how would that work? And how could we take care of everybody that we care about? Right. 
And can we? How can we make sure both of our needs and wishes are fulfilled if we're gone? And 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 you're entering the relationship knowing that legally this marriage will end. It's yeah. either going to end by divorce or it's going to end by death. But one way or another, as far as the state's concerned, your marriage yep. will end. So how do you want that to look? Exactly. And that's a much less uh, contentious way than saying, I want a prenup, as George <laughs> in Seinfeld said. Yes. <laughs> I want a prenup. I, I, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs and you have yeah, all the money. Yeah, I, I don't know why I want it, but I want one, damn it. It sure sounds cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sounds so assertive, don't you think? Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, I'll lay down the rules early in a relationship. Gotta, that's you know, it. That's right. So, so Mark, if, if people want to talk to you about the financial impact of their marriage. Go to our website. And or their divorce. Go to, go to your website. Please go to Pacific Divorce Management. It's PACDivorce.com, P-A-C-D-I-V-O-R-C-E.com. Please do not use the contact form. I've just been told today it's not working. There is a phone number on there. You can call and we're very uh, responsive. And Scott, they, they, they're just emotionally distraught over well, this prenup that was passed to them across the table. Well, I too have had problem with the contact form on my website. And the reason <laughs> I have it is because I don't have a website, but I, I have a phone also. And so they're going to have to get out their little... <laughs> Mark just flipped me off. I am hurt, hurt. You That's deserve it. Our relationship. <laughs> I think, Scott, you might need to talk to a mental health professional. Really? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm some anger with... issues here, I think. <laughs> you got to call me on the phone, folks. That's how it goes. And I do answer my own phone at 619-417-5743. Scott Weiner. And Sean. Well, if, if you want to write up a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement, or you want to uh, avoid pillow talk, you can give us a call. Um, go to our website, WeberDisputeResolution.com. That's Weber with one B, dispute like a fight, resolution like we solved it, .com. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Three Wise Men of Divorce, Money, Psych, and Law. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and share with others who may be in a similar place. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and focused on a positive, bright future. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Every family law case is unique, so no legal, financial, or mental health advice is intended during this podcast. If you need help with your specific situation, feel free to schedule a time to speak with one of us for a personal consultation.